three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, September 7th. It is currently, it is, what time is it? It is 9.03 p.m., which means it's after midnight on the East Coast. Apologize, doing my best. Uh, God, I'm exhausted. It's been a long week. We made it to Friday, thank goodness. Um, And I am so happy. I am so grateful that the NFL starts on Sunday. I can't wait. I, uh, you know what I'm sick of? The thing I'm really tired of, I'm tired of making predictions. I feel like all I do is, this is going to happen this year, and this is going to happen this year. I'm done with it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I can't wait to see what happens. And finally, we've reached the point of the year where we just get to watch football and talk about it and react and share our opinions. I just, oh my goodness, I can't wait. Um, I want to start with the Eagles and the Falcons. It's old news now. I don't really care. In the NFL opener, the Falcons beat or lost to the Eagles. Excuse me. In the NFL opener on Thursday Night Football, the Eagles beat the Falcons 18 to 12. And it was an ugly, ugly game. It was it was weird. Not what I expected. I really I believed the Falcons were gonna wipe out the Eagles, and it d- didn't happen. And there's a lot of storylines you could talk about. You could talk about, again, maybe the Falcons choked, or you could say how big of a win it was for the Eagles. I want to tell you who I thought was the biggest winner in the Eagles and Falcons game. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was the biggest winner last night on Thursday Night Football. You know what I thought about last night? If I was dating a girl, and all she did was talk about another guy, it'd really bother me. It, it would really bother me. I'd be like... Can we not talk about Jim? It would be really annoying. I'd be like, I, I'm awesome too. Can we talk about me? I don't know. All you do is talk about how great this other guy is. Can we talk about me? I don't know. It would drive me nuts. All offseason, the only thing Carson Wentz has heard. All offseason, Carson Wentz has had to listen to his own city of Philadelphia. Talk about the backup quarterback, Nick Foles. All offseason, that's all they've heard. All Philadelphia, all anybody's really seemed to talk about is Nick Foles, the backup. Nick Foles. Woo! Nick Foles is the backup. I bet Carson Wentz is really happy his team won. I, no doubt, right? The, the, soon, the more that the Eagles win while Carson Wentz is gone, the better. Carson Wentz is out. He's recovering from an ACL injury. He's probably going to be gone the first two weeks. He'll return against the Colts week three. That's my prediction. But uh, while... Carson Wentz, I'm sure, wants Nick Foles to do well. I doubt he wants him to do too well. So against the Falcons, Nick Foles was 19 for 34, had no touchdowns, threw an interception, 55% completion percentage. Not terrible, but for the most part, Nick Foles played ugly. It wasn't great. And without gimmicky trick plays, without the, the Philly special, uh, it w- the Eagles struggled to move the ball. Look, they won. But it was clear last night, there was no quarterback controversy in Philadelphia. The girlfriend's done talking about that other guy. We know it's Carson Wentz. All Carson Wentz has heard all offseason, again, is all about Nick Foles. No. Because let's be honest about last night. If the Eagles have Carson Wentz last night, that game's over at halftime. <laughs> I mean, the Eagles struggled to move the ball and they still beat the Falcons. I don't know if that says more about the Falcons or more about the Eagles, but it was ah, was awesome. If you add Carson Wentz last night, the Eagles win by two touchdowns. We have a great show today. I'm going to talk about the big story to me. 
The biggest story of the day is we're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell. I'm going to dig really deep into Le'Veon Bell controversy. Uh, At the end of the show, the last story of the day, I'm going to revisit Khalil Mack. I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield. The media had some weird, weird things to say about Baker Mayfield this week. I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield. We'll talk about Blake Bortles. I'm going to share the Dak Prescott impending contract situation, my thoughts there. I'm going to talk about the biggest games of the week one of NFL season on Sunday. Remember... You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you like this show as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends all about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. It's good. So I'm, I'm so tired. This week was awful. It was rough. I, uh, it's good to, be, good to be doing this. I wrote three papers today. I, I am, I'm beat. It's 9 o'clock. Glad to be doing strong opinion sports. Le'Veon Bell is the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he wants to be paid more money. Le'Veon Bell wants a raise. And Le'Veon Bell wants a long-term contract. And apparently, the Steelers do not want to give him that. The Steelers don't want to give Le'Veon Bell a new contract. They franchise-tagged their running back. What that means is Le'Veon Bell is scheduled to make $14.5 million this season. And at the end of the year, Le'Veon Bell will be an unrestricted free agent. He will be free to sign with whatever team he wants. He'll probably get a big long-term contract at the end of the season. But Le'Veon Bell does not want to be paid the franchise tag. Le'Veon Bell wants a long term contract and until he gets paid he's not going to show up to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers so Le'Veon Bell's holding out neither side is budging the Steelers don't want to pay him Le'Veon Bell doesn't want to play for the Steelers it things are at a standstill now here's the timeline here's what's going to happen because it's likely that Le'Veon Bell is going to hold out until week 10 at week 10 there's a deadline where Le'Veon Bell must play Le'Veon Bell has to play week 10, and if he doesn't come back by week 10, he will not accrue a year of service towards uh, a year of service time towards the NFL, whatever, whoever tracks that. If Le'Veon Bell does not play after week 10, if he, if he holds out past week 10, the Steelers will still have his rights at the end of the year. He will not accrue another year, and the franchise tag will not matter. Because you can franchise tag for three seasons. He won't accrue a year, so the Steelers would still have his rights at the end of this year. So if Le'Veon Bell wants to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season, if Le'Veon Bell wants the freedom to go wherever he wants, sign a big contract somewhere else, he has to come back to the Steelers by week 10. And and you must know, every week that Le'Veon Bell does not show up to play for the Steelers, he loses $800,000. He loses more money a week than Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback, makes all season. Now here's where it gets interesting, though. Le'Veon Bell showing up. Le'Veon Bell's not showing up, and his teammates do not like that. They are frustrated. They're not a fan of it. And they've spoken out against him. Le'Veon Bell's teammates, and not just his teammates, his offensive line, have come out and criticized their running back. So I want to, first off, I want to dive into what his teammates have said, but I want to also dive into Le'Veon Bell's perspective, because I understand both sides of this argument. There's no... Right or wrong. It's this argument. This whole situation is not black and white. I understand both perspectives. Neither side is right, but 
both sides have consequences to their actions. Le'Veon Bell's teammates called him out. There's consequences. Le'Veon Bell holding out till week 10. There's consequences. So first off, I want to say I understand where Le'Veon Bell is coming from. The Steelers use Le'Veon Bell a ton. He led the NFL in carries last year. He had 321 carries, and he had the third most yards in the NFL. Kareem Hunt had 1,327. Todd Gurley had 1,305 yards, and very closely behind, Le'Veon Bell had 1,291 yards. But Le'Veon Bell doesn't just run the football. He had 85 catches. Yes, Le'Veon Bell was the second leading wide receiver for a second leading receiver in general for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What that means is Le'Veon Bell touched the ball 406 times. So Le'Veon Bell's argument makes sense to me. I understand why Le'Veon Bell says, look, I'm touching the ball more than anybody in the entire NFL. I'm getting hit a ton. And if I'm going to get hit that much, I want to be compensated for my work. It makes sense. But not only that, not only is Le'Veon Bell being used a ton by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Put yourself in Le'Veon Bell's shoes. Put yourself in his perspective for a minute. Everybody got paid this offseason. Jimmy Garoppolo got paid. Aaron Rodgers got paid. Khalil Mack. Aaron Donald got a giant contract. Todd Gurley, another running back, got paid. Odell Beckham Jr. Even Brandon Cooks. Not to mention Sammy Watkins. Player after player after player got paid. But here's the big one. I bet this is the one that bothers Le'Veon Bell the most. Jarek McKinnon. Le'Veon Bell had to watch Jarek McKinnon sign a massive contract with the 49ers. Remember, mind you, Jarek McKinnon was a backup running back in Minnesota. He only had 150 carries last year. Less than half of Le'Veon Bell, and he signed a four-year deal worth $30 million. I can only imagine Le'Veon Bell is at home thinking, are you kidding me? I'm the best at my job. I'm the best person in the world at playing running back. And everybody's getting paid. Everybody's not only getting a raise. Other players, Todd Gurley, Jarek McKinnon, Sammy Watkins, all kinds of players are getting giant deals. And I can't get a raise or a long-term contract. Are you kidding me? I am sure Le'Veon Bell is at home going, it's my turn. I deserve the money. So I get it. I understand. I understand where Le'Veon Bell is coming from, but let's talk about his teammates. Because I understand how his teammates feel as well. Veteran offensive lineman Ramon Foster came out and said this. This is a quote from Ramon Foster, offensive lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He said, what do you do? Here's a guy who doesn't give a damn, I guess. So we'll treat it as such. I just hate that it's come to this. That is what he said. He said, clearly the guy doesn't care. We're going to treat it that way. And uh, it's just sad it came to that. Now, Foster also pointed out that Le'Veon Bell is making seven times as much as he is. He's also making twice as much as Alejandro Villanueva, the left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Pittsburgh Steelers center also came out. Marquise Pouncey said, spoke of Le'Veon Bell. He said Le'Veon Bell was selfish. And he said, yeah, I'm kind of pissed. Kind of pissed Le'Veon Bell isn't showing up. This is a huge deal. His offensive line is calling him out. This matters. This has impact. Le'Veon Bell's not successful without his offensive line. All of his prior successes have come because of his offensive line. Got to thank the big guys up front. So I understand how his teammates feel as well. The Steelers' goal is they want to win a Super Bowl. It's what every team 
wants the goal, but it's it's the goal of every team. But the Steelers, more than most, actually have a legitimate shot to win a Super Bowl. I mean, if I was doing a group project and a guy was so angry with the group he was given, he never showed up and we failed the assignment, I'd be mad. I'd be like, Jim, what the heck? You should have came. You should have helped us. That's how his teammates feel. I also want to, I want to ask a question, you know, why would the offensive linemen come out and say this publicly? They, they could have reached out to Le'Veon Bell privately. They could have sent him a text message or called him or bought him lunch, anything. And maybe they did. I, I have no idea. Maybe they did reach out to him privately and maybe it didn't work. But it's, it's very obvious. It's very clear. The Pittsburgh Steelers offensive linemen escalated the situation by calling out their running back publicly. So what does all of this mean going forward? You have Le'Veon Bell who wants more money. I understand. You have his teammates calling him out. I get where they're coming from too. They want help. They have a goal. He's not helping their goal. He's hurting them. What do we take away from all of this? Clearly first, there's a bunch of dysfunction in Pittsburgh. Some people are saying it's too toxic. The Steelers just need to trade away Le'Veon Bell. Get rid of him. He won't work. He's messing up the locker room. I understand that perspective. But I actually think the Steelers should sign Le'Veon Bell. They should pay their running back. Give him more money. Now, let me preface this statement by saying, I believe the Steelers are already paying him too much. I think $14.5 million is ridiculous for a running back. It's more than I would pay him. Le'Veon Bell is 26 years old. And he's already rushed for over 5,000 yards in his career. His days in the NFL are numbered. He's not going to last five more years. If you give Le'Veon Bell a six-year deal by year four, five, six, he's probably going to be burned out. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a chance at a Super Bowl this year. So if I were the Steelers, I would give Le'Veon Bell what he wants. Give him what he wants. Get him on the field because you have a shot at a Super Bowl. It's the same reason why I agreed with the Rams paying Aaron Donald. Get him on the field. It doesn't matter. If you have a chance to win a Super Bowl, do everything in your power, do everything you can to get yourself in position to win a Super Bowl. Go after another Super Bowl. You have this window. Big Ben is aging. You have all these stars on your roster. You have the best receiving core in the NFL by a mile. The Steelers have this very brief window to win a championship. They must capitalize. I don't care if you're going to pay Le'Veon Bell way more than he's worth. If he helps you win a Super Bowl, do it. You have a brief window. Take advantage of this time. Because, look, if you pay Le'Veon Bell a giant contract, six years, and he's, he's worthless in the last three years of that contract, will it matter anyways? Because you won't have Big Ben. You'll have maybe Mason Rudolph. Who's that other quarterback, the guy from Tennessee? Those guys aren't going to win... Regardless, the Steelers aren't going to be in a position to win a Super Bowl in four years. So do everything you can to win now while you actually have a window and a chance to win a Super Bowl. So even though I think Le'Veon Bell is not worth the money he's asking, I would pay Le'Veon Bell. Give him the money. I would not recommend the Seahawks or the Redskins or, I don't know, I wouldn't recommend the Lions. I would not recommend those teams give Le'Veon Bell the money he's asking for. But none of those teams, the, Steel, the, the Seahawks, the Redskins, the Lions, none of those teams have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. The Steelers actually have a legitimate shot. There's a brief window where they could win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter what he's asking for. Give him what he wants. Get him on the field. Their chances, the Steelers' chances of winning a Super Bowl go up if they have Le'Veon Bell on the field. Not a lot. 
but I would do everything I can. I would, even if Le'Veon Bell gives you a 3% increase, I do everything I possibly can to win a Super Bowl if I was the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, I want to revisit the Eagles and Falcons game there. I have two interesting little nuggets of information I wrote down in my notes. Uh, The first one is this. I was really, really interested in how the new NFL rules are going to affect the game last night. And, uh, (laughs) you know, the the NFL catch rule and the helmet rule actually impacted the game far less than I thought they would. I mean, Julio Jones, we all remember, we saw the catch. I don't know how that wasn't a catch. I, I thought that if we fixed the NFL catch rule, we would have more catches. And we would avoid situations like last night where Julio Jones bobbles the ball, pins it against his shoulder. He's inbounds. I don't know why that wasn't a catch, but apparently that's not a catch somehow. I, I really thought we were going to fix the NFL catch rule and get those little those controversial, anything that was even slightly controversial, if it looked like it could be a catch, benefit of the doubt would go to catch. And apparently I was wrong. I, I was blown away that Julio Jones was not granted a catch last night against the Eagles. But there was also a moment where an Eagles defender had a chance to destroy, to annihilate a Falcons wide receiver. Didn't do it. He let up. And it looks like already the NFL is adjusting their play and avoiding having penalties from helmet-to-helmet hits. But even more than that, it appeared that the refs allowed defenders to have more contact with wide receivers. That, that was really interesting to me because when the new catch rule was instituted, my immediate thought was, oh, wow, receivers are untouchable. It's like when you get a weapon in a video game and they, nerf, they, they, they turn the stats up a lot, so it's, it's called it's OP, it's overpowered. I really thought wide receivers were going to be overpowered. Wide receivers were going to have, I thought they were going to be impossible to stop because of the new catch rule. No. The refs are allowing defenders to body up and to be more physical wide receivers down the field. At least after one game, that's my takeaway. I saw a play in the end zone where I I really thought the guy was held. I thought the guy was hit downfield. No, they didn't make a call. Apparently, refs are allowing defenders to be more physical. And that is how the NFL is combating the catch rule to make it so that receivers are not completely impossible to stop. That's interesting to me. I didn't expect that. I like that. But now the the next thing I want to talk about, my my biggest note from the Falcons-Eagles game is this. Why did the Falcons lose to the Eagles? I mean, there's a bunch of obvious narratives. The obvious one is, look, the Falcons struggled in the red zone. Four times in the red zone, the Falcons failed to score. They failed on a fourth down. Matt Ryan had an ugly interception, and at the end of the game, they came up short. The obvious narrative in the Eagles and Falcons game is, well, the Falcons lost to the Eagles because they struggled with situational football in the red zone. Last year, Steve Sarkeesian struggled with play calling in the red zone. It was a big storyline. They were bad last year, but I, I thought personally, okay, after one year, they'll get to know each other better. They're gonna, they're, there's no way they're going to struggle in the red zone again, right? We all, I thought that. And then Matt Ryan had a, did not have a great game last night. Matt Ryan did not look well. No touchdowns, had an interception, had a 48% completion percentage. Matt Ryan struggled. He was 21 for 43. That's ugly. Less than 50%. Are you kidding me? He got outplayed by Nick Foles, and Nick Foles looked awful. And the Falcons blew it. They let the Eagles hang around and they lost. But here's what I saw. Here is what I've been building up to. Last night on the final play of the Falcons-Eagles game, I believe Matt Ryan forced it to Julio Jones. Look, I played quarterback. I understand. If you have Julio Jones one-on-one, 
You take advantage of that. And that's what the that's the look the Eagles gave the Falcons. Matt Ryan made a pre-snap read. I have one-on-one with Julio Jones. I'm going to throw it up to Julio Jones. Hmm. However, here's what happened. I want to, I'll play the clip. Here's Watch what happened. I got double coverage again. Ryan for Jones and no. Couldn't stay in. Darby with the coverage and that is the way opening night ends. What you just watched, what you just saw was that Julio Jones caught the ball. However, he was out of bounds. The Falcons ran out of space on the field, and uh, Julio Jones caught the ball, pushed out of bounds, incomplete pass, game over. But I want to replay this clip. You, what you just saw was Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, failing to connect for a touchdown. But look at the top of the screen. I'm going to zoom in on the spot. Watch this clip again. Watch the rub route come wide open. Watch this clip. I got double coverage again. Ryan for Jones and no. Did you see that? Did you see what happened? Yeah, the rub route comes wide open. However, Matt Ryan decided pre-snap, I'm going to throw the ball to Julio Jones. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily Matt Ryan's fault. Hey, you get Julio Jones one-on-one coverage, you got to throw him the ball. But again, this is something Matt Ryan has struggled with. My dad sent me a stat last night. In the last two years, in the red zone, Matt Ryan has completed one pass of 20s, one and for 20, throwing the ball to Julio Jones in the red zone. That's atrocious. That's awful. In 20 attempts in the last two years, Matt Ryan has completed one pass to Julio Jones in the red zone. Are you kidding me? That's terrible. And what that tells me, this stat tells me that Matt Ryan is forcing the ball to Julio Jones in the red zone. And that's a problem. That's one of the, that's a curse. That's one of the problems of playing with a great wide receiver like Julio Jones. Julio Jones is fantastic. He had 10 catches last night, 169 yards, but he was targeted 19 times. 10 for 19, that's not great. What, 51% someone got? It's not, not outstanding, 55%. It's not an outstanding percentage of completions per target. It's not great. I get it. You got to feed the beast. I even, I put that on my Instagram story last night. You got to feed the beast, Julio Jones. But again, the problem with playing with a guy like Julio Jones is sometimes quarterbacks predetermine where they're going with the ball. I got to get Julio Jones his targets. I got to give him enough catches. I, I don't know. It's, we can both all agree. The rub route comes wide open in that play. And it's clear to me, Matt Ryan at times is forcing the ball to Julio Jones, especially in the red zone. One for 20 in two years, that's not good. Again, watch the play. The rub route comes wide open. I got double coverage again. Ryan. Jones and no. I got double coverage again. Ryan for Jones and no. Okay, I'm going to go off script here. This is not in my preparation for the show at all, but I want to talk about the story because it's something I've alluded to and uh, something I'm excited. My dad just sent me a story minutes ago. Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts will likely redshirt in 2018 per report. Good. Good, good, good. That is awesome. I was actually, you know, I was going to talk about that if he didn't play a lot this week. Um, the new rule for redshirting works this way in college football. You can play four games and still redshirt, which means a season will not count against your eligibility in college football. And uh, Jalen Hurts should redshirt. Because the question Jalen Hurts needs to ask himself, do you want to be a backup for the rest of your career at Alabama? 
Do you want to never play and be a starting quarterback in college football again? Because Tua Tungavaloa, he might already be the best quarterback in college football. Already. He's a true sophomore. And Jalen Hurts has two more years of eligibility left. He should not waste it. It would be very sad. I would be sad for Jalen Hurts if he never started another game in college football. Because he's, he's not, look, he's not Tua Tungvaloa. He's not Jarrett Stidham. He's not Jake Browning even. He's not one of the top-tier college quarterbacks. But Jalen Hurts can win games in college. He can go somewhere else and win a lot of games. So that, that's what I'm rooting for. I, I think that Nick Saban manipulated Jalen Hurts. He, he drew out that quarterback battle. Everybody knew Tua is a better quarterback. It's obvious the minute you watch them throw. Tua is a better quarterback. He's more athletic. He makes bigger plays. He doesn't miss wide open reads like we saw in Alabama-Louisville last week. Jalen Hurts had a guy wide open over the middle. He missed him. He ran for a three-yard run. Awesome. That's good. Positive play. But Tua would have had a touchdown on that play. Jalen Hurts, is, it's in his best interest to redshirt this year and transfer after the season because Jalen Hurts can finish his degree and then he can be a graduate transfer with two years left in college. Two years left of eligibility. That's huge. That's what Joe Burrow, the former Ohio State quarterback, did. He graduated and transferred to LSU. Means he could play instantly and he had two years left of eligibility. That is what Jalen Hurts, Alabama's now backup quarterback, should do. Redshirt, leave Alabama. That's what I would do. I, I don't want to be a... Ba- I don't want to sit on the sideline for the next two years and never play again if I'm Jalen Hurts. I want to play instantly. And that is why when my dad sent me the story, I was really excited. I I hope that Jalen Hurts transfers. I like Jalen Hurts. He's a professional. He's an adult. He's handled this with nothing but class. I I think he's helping Tua. But I think Tua is, he might be the best quarterback in the country. And Jalen Hurts better get out. He's he's never going to play again if he stays in Alabama. If Jalen Hurts doesn't transfer, he will never ever play again unless Tua gets injured because it's it's not even close. Tua Tungvaloa is way better than Jalen Hurts. All right. Baker Mayfield was named the Browns' backup quarterback. And uh, many, many people were critical of Baker Mayfield. They compared Baker Mayfield to Sam Darnold. Remember, Sam Darnold is starting week one. People said, you know, Sam is starting week one. Sam Darnold beat out Teddy Bridgewater of the Jets. Change their plan. Why can't Baker Mayfield beat out Terod Taylor, huh? Clearly, Baker Mayfield doesn't have it. And then people said, you know, two years ago, the Eagles had Sam Bradford, but then Carson Wentz was so good. They decided, oh, we got to start Carson Wentz day one. Many people are saying Baker Mayfield is not a number one pick. They are critical of Baker Mayfield. People are saying if Baker Mayfield was good enough to be a number one pick, he should start day one. Okay, well, first of all, I I would counter that by saying, well, two years ago, Jared Goff was a number one overall pick. He didn't play week one. Look how that worked out. The Rams, his team, are now Super Bowl favorite this year. So not all number one picks have to start day one at quarterback. Now, I got to first say I would have drafted Sam Darnold. If I was the Browns, I would have drafted Sam Darnold number one overall. I've met him, trained with him, great guy, best quarterback in the draft. He's an elite quarterback. But just because I would have drafted Sam Darnold, just because Sam Darnold might be the best quarterback in the NFL draft class, that does not mean Baker Mayfield is suddenly a bum who can't play. This criticism is ridiculous. I want to defend Baker Mayfield here. 
All along, since day one, the Browns have been incredibly consistent with their message. The Browns, since day one, have said Baker Mayfield will not start week one. And it's just funny to me. The Browns follow their plan. They said, we're not going to start him. And they are not going to start him. And now people suddenly are freaking out. People who are not fans of Baker Mayfield, people who don't like Baker Mayfield, are using Baker Mayfield not starting week one as evidence that he sucks and he's not any good. Again, all along, the Browns have said he's not going to start week one. The Browns do it and everybody freaks out. They've been nothing but consistent. They said they are doing exactly what they said they would. Why are people freaking out? Why are people surprised by this? Why are people reading into it? I don't understand. Here's why I think Baker Mayfield isn't starting week one for the Cleveland Browns. A, look, clearly Terod Taylor's a good quarterback. Not great, but he's good. He's Andy Dalton. He's middle of the road. He's, He's solid. But do you remember the history for the Cleveland Browns at quarterback? Last year, the Browns played Deshaun Kaiser week one. Too early. Wasn't ready to start. They probably ruined him. He'll probably never be a great NFL quarterback. Or let's look at the history of the Browns drafting quarterbacks, playing them early. Johnny Manziel was a bust. Kevin Hogan didn't work out. Colt McCoy, Brandon Whedon, guys didn't work out repeatedly. Brady Quinn, the Browns have drafted quarterbacks in the first round that haven't worked out. I think the Browns are sitting there thinking, let's just not screw this up. We have an ugly history with rookie quarterbacks. Let's not screw it up this time. Terod Taylor's solid. And there's no rush to play Baker Mayfield. This has been the plan all along. I don't know why commentators are suddenly going, whoa, this says so much about Baker Mayfield. No, it doesn't. The Browns are doing what they've said they would do from day one. Baker Mayfield was never going to start week one for the Browns. Don't read too much into it. It can't hurt him to sit and learn. That is what I believe. Don't overreact to the fact that Baker Mayfield was named the backup quarterback. Yeah, he was always going to be the backup quarterback. So, not a shocker. Not surprising. Doesn't say a lot about Baker Mayfield. Doesn't mean he shouldn't have been the number one pick. Again, I would have picked Sam Darnold. But just because Baker Mayfield doesn't start in week one, that doesn't suddenly make him a bum who's a terrible quarterback who can't play. I don't know. People who don't like Baker Mayfield. The, the, your bias is showing. Using this as evidence to fit the narrative you want to push about Baker Mayfield. That's how I see it. Let's shift to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll stay with quarterbacks, though. I have two kind of back-to-back similar quarterback stories. <clears throat> Let me drink water first. Uh, tomorrow, uh, more college. I'm, I'm working a college football game tomorrow. If you watch Pac-12 Network, you'll see me on the sideline of Washington State, San Jose. Um, should be fun. Really excited. Let's talk about the Jaguars. Doug Marone, the Jaguars head coach, came out and said the other day he wants Blake Bortles to throw. He wants Blake Bortles to have zero turnovers this year. That is what Doug Marone, the Jaguars head coach, said. He said, I want my quarterback, Blake Bortles, to have zero turnovers. Now, I don't really know that Doug Marone was serious, and I don't know that he was trying to be completely literal. I don't think he was, I think he was making a blanket statement about how, you know, you never want one of your players to have turnovers. You know, Doug Marone said, that's how, why, a lot, often why teams lose. If they have turnovers, that's why teams lose football games. However, I would still say Doug Marone saying, I want my quarterback to have zero turnovers. That is an unhelpful mindset. You don't want to say that. You're being unrealistic. 
Look, I have been really, really hard on Blake Bortles. I expect more from Blake Bortles. If he doesn't show more, they're not, the Jaguars are not going to win a lot this year. But nobody, whether you like Blake Bortles, whether you believe in him, doesn't matter. Nobody should have the goal for Blake Bortles. Nobody should say Blake Bortles' goal is to have zero turnovers. It's unrealistic. It's not going to happen. Nobody's perfect. If your goal is to be perfect, you will fail every single time. It's unrealistic. All you're asking for is heartbreak. You got to accept reality. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be wrong sometimes. You're going to have turnovers. Accept it. Do your best and move on. You have to be willing to fail. And sometimes on strong opinion sports, in fact, often I say stupid stuff. I think I say smart stuff more than I say stupid stuff. But sometimes I take a big swing and I miss. And it's embarrassing. The next day I have to own up to it. Yeah, uh, what I said was stupid. Uh, I don't know. I make a prediction that's wrong sometimes. I do it. I make mistakes. I say the wrong stat. I say the wrong name. I make mistakes all the time. It happens. But I can't let my fear of screwing up cripple me. I can't sit here. If I was always trying to be perfect and never willing to make a mistake on this show, here's what the show would sound like. Oh yeah, that's because I'm, I'm too afraid to talk. Too afraid to take a risk. It happens. You, again, you can't let your fear of failure cripple you from making mistakes. Blake Bortles throwing zero interceptions. Blake Bortles having zero turnovers. That's an unrealistic goal. It's completely unreasonable. Here's a realistic goal for Blake Bortles. This is what I want from Blake Bortles this year. I want to quantify it. I want to give you an actual statistical value I want from Blake Bortles. Because Blake Bortles must improve if the Jaguars want to make it back to the playoffs. He needs to play at a higher level. Remember, the Jaguars division, the AFC South, is now better. Deshaun Watson's coming back from an injury. Andrew Luck is coming back from an injury. The, te- the Titans, the Tennessee Titans made the playoffs last year. I think they're a little bit better. Better coach, better offense. I want to see Blake Bortles throw 30 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Because he's going to throw interceptions. He's going to have turnovers. Blake Bortles just needs to succeed at a higher rate than he fails. At, at about twice as much. He needs to have a 2-to-1 touchdown interception ratio. Last year, Blake Bortles threw 21 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. He had a 60% completion percentage. Now, last year in 2017, Kirk Cousins... The former Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins, had 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and a 64% completion percentage. And this is consistently what Kirk Cousins does. Kirk Cousins, two years ago, 2016, 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, a 65% completion percentage. All I want from Blake Bortles this year, I'm not asking for him to be Tom Brady. All I want from Blake Bortles, can you play as well as Kirk Cousins? Can you play at the same level Kirk Cousins does? I'm not asking for too much. He doesn't need to be the reincarnation of Peyton Manning. I just want Blake Bortles to play as well as Kirk Cousins has the last two years. That's all I want. A small increase. Go from 21 touchdowns to 28, 27. Go from a 60% completion percentage to 65. A small increase. Now, Blake Bortles entering year five in the NFL. Traditionally, in the history of the NFL, historically, quarterbacks have their biggest statistical jump in year four or year five. This is a completely reasonable expectation for Blake Bortles. For him to go from 60% completion percentage to 65. To go from 21 touchdowns to 28, 29, maybe 30. 
It's now or never for Blake Bortles. If Blake Bortles doesn't pop in year five, he's not going to do it. It's time. It's now or never for Blake Bortles. I think there's a reasonable expectation for him to play like Kirk Cousins did last year. It's not too much. Not too much to ask. I want a small increase from Blake Bortles. If Blake Bortles can give me that, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, a 65% completion percentage. If Blake Bortles does that, the Jaguars will make the playoffs again. That's, that's my prediction. I'm really curious to see what happens. Not asking from too much for Blake Bortles. It's year five. He needs to pop. Now let's shift to the Dallas Cowboys. I see trouble brewing for the Dallas Cowboys and their quarterback, Dak Prescott. Now it's a common belief that Dak Prescott at the end of this year will ask for a raise. He's going to ask for more money. He's going to ask for a new contract at the end of this year. And look, there, there are a bunch of signs that point to this. So Dak Prescott's entering his third season. At the end of your third season, the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL says that a player can ask for a new deal again after the third season. So that, that's going to line up for Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott also left his agent recently. He left his first agent of his NFL career. He signed with CAA, a massive, massive agency uh, for athletes, creative artist agency. And, and look, here's the thing. Dak Prescott is massively underpaid. Dallas, Dak Prescott is the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. He is the quarterback. He is the face of the biggest franchise in football. Biggest, maybe the biggest brand, one of the biggest brands in the world. Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys, the Lakers, Manchester United. I mean, there's not a, the Dallas Cowboys are one of the biggest franchises in the world. You go to Europe, you still see Cowboys shirts. The Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, makes $600,000 a year. He doesn't even make an he doesn't even make a million dollars a year. That's pennies for an NFL quarterback. Dak Prescott makes pennies. He makes six hundred thousand dollars a year for an NFL quarterback. That is less than nothing. Now it's on Dak Prescott in th- year three. It is on Dak Prescott to earn a big contract, and I am concerned that Dak Prescott might not. Here's why. My belief is Dak Prescott is only going to show a minor improvement this year. He's going to go from like, well, like a 60% completion percentage to a 63, 65 to 60, a small incremental jump. Why do I believe that? Why don't I believe Dak Prescott's going to show a major jump this year? Again, Dak Prescott's entering year three. Historically, around the NFL, quarterbacks show their biggest statistical jump in year four or year five. It's, it's proofs in the pudding. Look at quarterback stats. Russell Wilson, year four, went from 3,000 yards to 4,000 yards. Had fewer interceptions. Touchdowns in the 20s went to touchdowns in the 30s. Russell Wilson in year four went from a 63% completion percentage to a 68% completion percentage. Matt Ryan, year five, had a big jump. Matt Ryan, completion percentage from 60 to 68%. He went from hovering around 3,700, you know, around 4,000 yards to 4,700 yards. Matt Ryan in year five had touchdowns in the 30s rather than in the 20s. Big Ben had a big jump year four. Drew Brees, year four. Completion percentage from 50s to 65%, a huge jump. From 2,000 yards passing to 3,000. Drew Brees, year four, went from touchdowns in the teens to touchdowns in the uh, high 20s, 27 touchdowns. The point is this. Dak Prescott is going to want a huge contract. And I don't know that he's going to earn it, until year four or year five. There's going to be some drama, a dilemma next year. 
Will the Cowboys want to pay Dak Prescott? Now, there have been reports Dak Prescott said he's willing to be flexible with the Dallas Cowboys. What that means is I don't believe Dak Prescott's going to ask to be paid more than Aaron Rodgers. Nor would he. That'd be ridiculous. But and there's always a one-up. Every new, next quarterback, oh, who, how much is he going to get paid? Is he going to get paid more than Jimmy Garoppolo, more than Kirk Cousins, more than Matt Stafford, more than Matt Ryan? There might be trouble coming for the Dallas Cowboys. Probably not. I believe in Dak Prescott. He's a good guy. He understands the salary cap. He knows the less money I take, the more my team can win. If Dak Prescott signs a deal for $17 million a year, I think a reasonable number. Solid. That, that's, that, that'd be reasonable. And, and if, if Dak Prescott did sign a reasonable contract, $13 million, $15 million, $17 million, then in year four or year five, when Dak Prescott goes from 65 to 68, a giant jump, a, a statistical marvel has a giant jump in statistics, then it would, be, it would be reasonable to say, oh, wow, the Cowboys are actually saving money on their quarterback, Dak Prescott. It's a bargain. Hmm. But all of this depends on how much money Dak Prescott asks for after this year and how well does he play. Historically, again, year four or year five is when quarterbacks have a big increase. That's when quarterbacks make a big jump statistically. He's only in year three, and he doesn't have a good receiving core. Lost Jason Witten. Whether you like Des Bryant or not, I don't. He still doesn't have Des Bryant. He's an average wide receiving core. It's very possible Dak Prescott does not make a giant leap. And then there's going to be some weirdness in that contract situation next year. Okay, let's talk about the Bears and Khalil Mack. I want to revisit the Khalil Mack decision. So the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, a defensive end. They traded for him. They signed him. The Bears signed Khalil Mack to the biggest contract in NFL history for a defensive player. They gave him $23.5 million a year. Unbelievable. $90 million guaranteed. I think $141 million total, something like that. So I have said the Raiders were right to trade Khalil Mack. <clears throat> I've also said the Bears overpaid him. And I'll be honest, at times I've not been sure if I was right or not. I picked a side. I tried to make a compelling argument. I did everything I could. And, and my argument has been this. I've said defensive ends do not win games. I said the Raiders went 6-10 and 10 with Khalil Mack. And they had a great quarterback last year, Derek Carr. They still only went 6-10. and 10. And I said Von Miller was the best defensive end in the entire NFL. His team, however, only went 5-11. and 11. And Von Miller had a good secondary helping him behind him. Miles Garrett, the number one overall pick two years ago. He's a defensive end. Miles Garrett was so good last year. He led the Cleveland Browns all the way to 0-16. Excuse me, he was, that, he, that was his rookie year last year. But point is this. I have said quarterbacks win games. But I want to look at it from a different perspective. I've heard this argument a lot. People have said, if quarterbacks win games, wouldn't you want to sign a guy who stops quarterbacks? However, I don't know that defensive ends do stop quarterbacks. The logic makes sense. Look at defensive ends are constantly sacking quarterbacks. If defensive ends are the one guy that stops quarterbacks... Makes sense. I mean, Aaron Rodgers can't be effective if he's getting hit every play. If he's on his back getting sacked, Aaron Rodgers isn't lighting up the defense. But I don't know that defensive ends have that much of an impact. 
Look, it's a reasonable it's a reasonable criticism of my opinion to say you got to sign defensive ends. That's the only way to stop quarterbacks. But do they stop quarterbacks? I don't know that they do. Von Miller went five and eleven. Clint Mack went six and ten. When's the last time in your mind you can rem- remember a defensive end taking over a football game? Last time I remember any defensive lineman taking over in any football game was last year in the Apple Cup. Washington State played UW. And Vita Vea destroyed and annihilated Washington State. He took over that game. But that's in college where there's a giant discrepancy in talent. There's not a giant discrepancy in talent in the NFL. Come to think of it, I can think of a ton of times where quarterbacks have taken over and won a game. Russell Wilson does it all the time. Russell Wilson threw for 34 touchdowns last year. Let's compare touchdowns to sacks. I don't know if that's a good comparison. Kind of apples to oranges. It'll probably make people mad. But Khalil Mack had 10 and a half sacks last year. So Russell Wilson's 34 touchdowns. 34 times 6 is 204 points. Khalil Mack's 10 and a half sacks. 10 and a half times 0 is still 0. Khalil Mack didn't score any touchdowns last year. Quarterbacks are worth so much more. I know that probably makes people mad. That comparison's stupid. Fine. But I'm not paying a defensive end the same money I'm paying a quarterback because quarterbacks are more valuable. You give Khalil Mack $24 million a year. That's quarterback money. You're mad. I get it. I mean, how could you compare sacks and touchdowns? That's fine. I don't don't really feel comfortable with that even. Let me ask you a question. The Bears added Khalil Mack. How many more games are they going to win this year because they added Khalil Mack? The Bears are probably going to finish third or fourth in their division. Now, when they added Khalil Mack, does that make them better than the Vikings? Does that make them suddenly better than the Packers? No, it, it doesn't. I predicted the Bears originally to go 5-11. and 11. Oh, oh, they shot up two games. Now they're 7-9. and nine. I don't know. The Bears are not going to make the playoffs next year. Khalil Mack is getting a ton of money, but he's not that impactful. Khalil Mack is getting paid 13% of their salary cap. He's not worth 13% of their salary cap. He doesn't make a 13% impact. Aaron Rodgers, you can pay him 20% of your salary cap. He wins your games. He'll win you 12 games a year by himself. The Bears signed an expensive defensive end. And they gave up two years of first-round picks. All the Bears did by re- by trading for Khalil Mack was reaffirm their commitment to mediocrity. The Bears are going to be 7-9 and nine for the next three years. Watch, watch. The only reason that the Bears won't be 7-9 and nine for the next three years is if their quarterback plays fantastic. Because Khalil Mack doesn't push the Bears over the edge. The only way the Bears are going to get better is if Mitch Trubisky plays well. Clearly, the Bears are betting on Mitch Trubisky. They're saying, we believe Mitch Trubisky is the next best thing, and I don't blame them. And I'm not saying the Bears screwed up. I'm not saying Khalil Mack is bad for the Bears roster, but he's not going to win them games. And my argument stands, he's not worth 13% of your salary cap. Now, a lot of people have made this argument. They've gotten really mad at me. Well, you got to account for the fact that the salary cap is going up. So right now, the salary cap is at $177 million. That's what the NFL salary cap is. So let's, let's imagine that it bumps up $23 million. That's reasonable. It goes up about $10 million a year. So in 2020, let's assume the salary cap is $200 million. 
Well, in 2020, Khalil Mack is going to make $24 million. What is 24 divided by 200? It's 12. Khalil Mack will make 12% of the Bears' salary cap. 13 and 12. That's not that different of a number. And I can tell you what. Khalil Mack is not worth 12% of your salary cap. He's not. He doesn't make a 12% impact. How many players can you sign with $24 million? Five? Six? Six average players? Six starters? I think you can. I think you, you could start. You could use the money for Khalil Mack to get six other starters on defense. Maybe five, maybe four. But four players for Khalil Mack, is he really worth that? Because Von Miller, best defensive end in football. His team went 5-11 and 11 last year with a good defense, with help behind him. He had to keep the lead. had a good secondary. J.J. Watt, defensive player of the year, over and over and over again. His team went 2-14, and 9-7. and seven. His coach got fired. Everybody says the Raiders screwed up by trading Khalil Mack. Here's the truth. The Khalil Mack situation was a lose-lose for the Raiders. They couldn't win. The minute Khalil Mack decided he wanted to be paid more than Aaron Donald, the minute Khalil Mack said, I want to be paid like $23 million a year, the minute he decided that, the Raiders were screwed. Because Khalil Mack said, money's more important to me than staying with the Raiders. You can't pay Khalil Mack 13% of your salary cap. He's simply not worth it. But the problem is, is a catch-22, because if you trade Khalil Mack, everybody's going to be mad. They're going to call you an idiot. It's a lose-lose. All the Raiders could do is minimize damage. The Raiders got two first-round picks. I don't know if that's great. It's kind of like winning the lottery. Draft picks are no guarantee. It's kind of hit or miss. But it's better than getting nothing for Khalil Mack. It's better than letting him walk away at the end of the year. It's better than him not playing all year and, again, just leaving in free agency, because that's what could have happened. I guess he would add a year left, but... Fine. I mean, you're not. The problem is the Raiders couldn't pay Khalil Mack $23 million a year. That is the point of this. And again, Khalil Mack took on John Gruden's ego as a power trip. And John Gruden can't lose in his first year to a player in a power trip. It's not possible. He can't do it. John Gruden's ego is too strong. The point is this the Raiders were in a lose lose situation with Khalil Mack. They couldn't keep him. They're not going to pay him 13% of their salary cap. But if you trade him away, you look like an idiot. So what do you do? It's a lose-lose. All you could do is minimize damage. That is what the Raiders did when they traded away Khalil Mack. Got two first-round picks, and they minimized the damage. All right. Last thing I want to talk about today, I want to talk about seven NFL games I cannot wait to watch. There are seven games. They're fantastic. My number one game, the game I'm most excited for this weekend, is the Jaguars and the Giants. This feels like a title fight. It's so silly because what we're going to get is... Odell Beckham Jr., highest paid wide receiver in the NFL against Jalen Ramsey, a defensive back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Again, it feels like Mayweather-McGregor. It feels like a giant, fantastic title fight. I can't wait. Here's what I really can't wait to watch is can Odell Beckham Jr. handle Jalen Ramsey's trash talk? How does he handle the Jacksonville Jaguars matchup emotionally? Here's what I think is going to Well, not to mention, by the way, Tom Coughlin, the vice president of football operations for the Jaguars, is the former coach for the Giants. He won two Super Bowls of the Giants. The Giants-Jaguars is the best matchup of week one. My prediction, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to catch a touchdown. He's going to get the best of Jalen Ramsey. However, the Jaguars will have the last laugh because the Jaguars will beat the Giants. Now, the Texans-Patriots this is another interesting game. 
Uh, quite honestly, I think the Texans are going to blow out the Patriots. I think it could be an ugly game. We're going to learn a lot about the Patriots week one. Because the Patriots have a lot of games where they have the best quarterback. Most of the Patriots games, I think 11, 12, maybe 13 of their games, they have the best coach and the best quarterback. Most of the matchups the Patriots are going to have, they're going to have a better quarterback and a better coach. However, their roster's trash. <laughs> their roster's not very good. I mean, the Patriots are completely outmatched against the Texans. And while Tom Brady might be a, a top three quarterback in the NFL, Deshaun Watson's not that far behind. He's probably a top 10 quarterback. I'm picking the Houston Texans to beat the Patriots week one. Now, the Vikings 49ers, I can't wait for this game. I'm gonna, I promise you next week I'm going to dive deep into I'm going to treat the 49ers this year. I'm going to act like a local radio host in San Francisco. Every week I'm going to break down the 49ers game because I know my audience wants to hear about the 49ers. Now, sadly, I think for, you know, for 49er fans, the Vikings are going to beat the 49ers. The Vikings are simply better all around, and the 49ers running back got hurt. Derek McKinnon's out for the year. That's a big, big matchup. That's a big problem for the 49ers. I think the 49ers are going to put up a good fight, but the Vikings are a better team. They're going to beat the 49ers week one. The fourth game I'm really excited for, the Chargers and the Chiefs. Now, this game's a toss-up. Here's what's interesting about this game. Joey Bosa, the fantastic pass rusher for the LA Chargers, is not going to play in this game. And uh, Patrick Mahomes is really the wild card in this game. I think he's going to be good, not great. If Patrick Mahomes is great for the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to win this game. But I haven't seen enough from Patrick Mahomes. They kind of they kept a, a very simplified offense in the preseason. I don't know what to expect from Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he had a great 70-yard touchdown. It's a physical gift. He's got an incredible arm. I think the Chargers are a better team than the Chiefs week one. Um, I don't know what to expect from Patrick Mahomes. I'm going with the Chargers over the Chiefs in week one. The Packers play the Bears, and this is very simple. The Packers are going to beat the Bears because Aaron Rodgers has more of an impact than Khalil Mack. Packers... I, mean, the Bear, I think the Bears have a better roster than the Packers, but the Packers have a better quarterback. That's what matters in the NFL. You have a better court coach and a better quarterback. The Packers are going to beat the Bears. The Bengals and the Colts is an interesting matchup. I'm picking the Bengals to beat the Colts. I think the Colts' defense is going to struggle. The Bengals' offense is pretty good. Early in the year, warm weather. I think it's, it's either indoors, regardless, whether it's in Cincinnati or in Indianapolis, it's going to be warm weather for Andy Dalton. And the problem is I think Andrew Luck is going to start the season slow. I really do. I like Andrew Luck. I like him more in December than I do in September. I think early in the year, Andrew Luck could have a slow start. I'm picking the Bengals to beat the Colts. And my last game, this is the game. Uh, the Jaguars and the Giants is going to be a really good game. The Chargers and the Chiefs is going to be a really good game. Uh, weirdly enough, the, the Cardinals and the Redskins is going to be a really good game. Now, my last game I'm really excited for, the Cowboys and the Panthers. There's a matchup I cannot wait to watch in the Cowboys-Panthers game. If you like physical football, watch the Cowboys offensive line against the Panthers front seven. It's going to be fantastic. The Panthers are really good against the run. And what do the Cowboys do best? They run the ball really well with Ezekiel Elliott. I'm picking the Cowboys to win. It's a gut feeling. I don't even really have a good reason. Cam Newton's a better quarterback. I can't wait to watch Cam. I think he's going to be really precise. I'm excited to watch him in Norv Turner's new offense, but I don't know I don't know what to expect from Cam. He looked good in the preseason, but that's a preseason. Gut feeling, I think the Cowboys are going to beat the Panthers. However, I could be wrong. So those are my seven interesting matchups for the NFL Week 1. Um, I, again, Jaguars-Giants is a great game. Texans-Patriots, I think Texans could blow out the Patriots. 
Vikings 49ers is competitive. Chargers Chiefs is really good. Packers Raiders. Packers are going to blow out the Bears. Packers Raiders. Packers Bears. Bengals are going to beat the Colts. And the Cowboys Panthers is going to be a physical battle. All right, guys. That's my show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It is now 9.59. That's pretty good. Actually, that's a really good time. I think we started at 9.03. You were listening. I don't have no idea. But thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. Remember, you can't subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow this show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Monday, we're going to reconvene and talk all about it. We're going to react to the 49ers. going to react to college football. A really weak week. It's a... Not a great week for college football, in my opinion, but who cares? NFL's back. It's going to be great. It'll dominate the ratings. And uh, I'll see you guys again on Monday. But um bum bam we are done. Bye.